Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Charlie Anderson, CEO and founder of Burrow, an autonomous farming startup that's raised over $12 million in funding. Charlie, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me, Brent. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so before we begin talking about what you're building, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Yeah, sure thing. So my name is Charlie Anderson, and I grew up on a working farm in Pennsylvania. And for me growing up within agriculture, what I loved about the space was all the machinery and technology. And what I really hated about the space or did not like about the space where all of the tasks where I had to get out of my air-conditioned tractor cab and go do work by hand outside in 110-degree heat. And that obsession has kind of followed me throughout the rest of my career. And so I, I got an MBA from Harvard, got out of the business school, and I went to work for a company called CNH, which is John Deere's largest competitor. And there, part of my role was actually looking at autonomy companies from an acquisition perspective. And fast forward a little bit, kind of came to the conclusion that I'm really a, more of a startup or kind of company-building type person more so than, than comfortable with a larger entity. And so I left that job and uh, founded a company, which is now known as Burrow, with uh, two co-founders, Terry Scott and Gabor Sood, who are, I guess, our CTO and the director of engineering. And today, we're about a 30, almost 35-person team with about a 200 Burrow fleet of vehicles deployed in paid commercial use today. And the product that we build, you can kind of think of it as like, as Disney's Wally or Star Wars's R2-D2, for work outdoors in a 1.0 format. So uh, we build a, a computer vision-based autonomous ground vehicle that carries, tows, or scouts alongside people in a variety of agricultural uh, type applications. Got it. And can you give us an example of one of those applications? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of our customers are growers of table grapes, blueberries, and then nursery crops. And when you go into a production environment where you're doing a lot of hand harvesting, or hand collection of something, a large proportion of your time and energy is expended physically moving things around. And so with our robots, uh, which are these little, they're roughly five horsepower, um, mm -hmm. they weigh about 400 pounds, they're able to follow people to learn routes and to retrace those routes autonomously. And they're built around computer vision, so they can do a lot of safe navigation alongside people under canopies. And so if you're in a table grade field and you have a 60-person crew of people, you would have six to eight of our vehicles. And each one of those six to eight vehicles is supporting six to 10 people picking. And they are running down rows to where people are picking. People are loading them up. And then they're running back to central collection points, eliminating a ton of wasted time and energy, which creates this great labor savings. Plus, you have a computer vision-based very data-acquisitive robot working next to people in some of the most labor-intensive areas of agriculture. So the premise being that on time, we'll also be able to layer on more behaviors as well. Got it. Interesting. And then what size farm are you typically selling to? So at the moment, our typical customers are probably a four to 10,000 acres, and they're typically gross, you know, 20 to 30 grand in revenue an acre. Um, and of that 20 to 30 grand in revenue, about half of it flows to labor, and about half of that revenue that flows to labor flows to labor around harvesting and harvesting takes place 
typically like six to nine months out of the year. So it's a very, not year round, but but it's more or less takes place over more than half of the year. Um, so it becomes enormously economically significant. Got it. And then how do you navigate the conversation around, you know, this potentially displacing workers or, you know, eliminating jobs that people would have otherwise? Is this, you know, not an issue because they're having a hard time filling these jobs in the first place? Or what are your views there? Yeah, I, I view a lot of that talk as people that just have no familiarity with the technology itself. It is people are so stinking smart and are so good at doing so many things. Like I think that the view of the future where it's all robots and no people, I just, I fundamentally just completely disagree with that. I think it's totally backwards. People are going to be outside working alongside robots for probably forever, in my view. Robots are really good at replicating some things, and people are really, really good at doing many things. Even if you watch a movie like Star Wars, there are robots working alongside people. And I think that that is the way that things are going to go going forward. Just beyond that, then more practically, with our systems, what they're used to do today is to augment your workforce. So basically to let six or eight people be as productive as 10 to 12 people. And so what you're doing is not replacing people, but rather taking people that are there already and making their working environment a lot easier to work within and also enabling them to make more money and the grower to get more productivity out of them. So I think it's kind of a win-win situation. And the premise of you know, a Terminator-esque world where it's just robots taking over, I think it's just so far from, you know, like the ro- robots are pretty dumb. They're pretty hard to get working. And the things that your toddler might do crawling across the floor are incredibly difficult to get a robot to do reliably at scale. Got it. Yeah, I feel like Siri still can't get my alarm right. So seems like we have a long way to go. Yeah, so, I think, so in robotics, there's this notion... Um, it's called Moravec's paradox. And it's the fundamental premise is that the most evolved portion of your brain is the reptilian portion. And it's so evolved that you don't even realize, you know, when you walk across the room, you don't even realize you're doing it. But what your brain is actually doing is looking at the room and saying, oh, there's a chair there. And that chair is likely moving around in the room. Therefore, I shouldn't localize against it. And I should localize against the things that are fixed in the room. And, oh, the sun is rising and it's a bit in my eyes, but I can still see around it and move around it. And when you're trying to, more of a paradox is the notion that that reptilian portion is the most difficult part to replicate. And then the thing, having a computer play chess or do something that's kind of higher level reasoning is actually a lot easier for a computer to replicate. And so said another way, it's a lot harder to replicate what people do when they do labor outdoors with mm-hmm. the robot than it is to build a computer that can play chess. And for that reason, I believe that there's going to be a long, long period of time where people work next to robots and robots are helping people work rather than trying to replace them wholesale. Got it. Interesting. And when it comes to technology adoption, are you seeing that you know, these farm businesses are very open to adopting and experimenting with new technology? Are they slow to adopt? What's the general sentiment there? Yeah, so I think people tend to look at like, people tend to think like, you know, if you sell to X company, that it's like one entity or one homogenous entity where it's very consistent. And many of my customers, they're eight or 10,000 acres and they hire eight to 10,000 people to do work. And so you might sell to a family or to an investment group that owns and runs the farm at some level. But within that group, there are literally thousands of employees. And those thousands of employees exhibit all of the crossing the chasm-esque innovator, early adopter, late adopter, laggard. Like they exhibit all of that same kind of bell curve distribution. And so from that, what we have found is that there are a proportion of owners that adopt technology very aggressively 
to get ahead of competition. And then their workforce tends to follow behind them, but get pulled along. And I think as a separate construct, we tend to start with like two to six vehicles with a customer. And so people try two to six, have a good experience with them, then do like 24, and then do like 50 to 60. And we're pretty far along in that journey in some customers. Like my largest customers are running like, you know, on the low end, right? Largest customers are running like 40 to, to 70 or so vehicles. And they have stuck with us for three or so years at this point. And each time that they are upping those vehicles or ordering more, running more, what they're doing is they have a, a larger and larger proportion of their workforce that is operating stuff at scale, which is a really cool thing to see. Got it. And then who are these being sold to specifically? Like, I'm guessing there's not like a digital transformation title at these farms. Or is there, you know, what are like the other titles that these, this is being sold to? The title, that's a good question. So um, definitely not digital transformation. I got definitely not that. These are generally people in, in white pickup trucks that show up to work and do hard work outside. Most of our, so most of the operators of our vehicles are, are they generally you know, Spanish speaking laborers or some of like the hardest working people on the planet. But so they tend to be Spanish-speaking day laborers in California today. And those are the people that are operating equipment. And then in terms of other roles within the company, you'll tend to have like a middle management layer of some sort, like a farm manager type title. And then some crew managers that are managing crews of 30 to 100 people and who report or are accountable to the farm managers. And generally, a farm manager will, will report to a, a CEO type or some lieutenant of a CEO. So those are, that's like, I guess, gives you a little bit of, a, of an idea. And I, again, I think when people think of what we're doing, we are not selling today, at least to small farms, we're selling to, you know, guys that literally hire eight to 10,000 people. And I think the, um, let me say it this way. When you think about agriculture in the U.S., half of revenue is crops and half of revenue is livestock. Within crops, corn, wheat, and soybeans are like two thirds of the revenue pool, but only about 8% of the farm workforce 90% or more of the farm workforce works in specialty crops, which are all the things that are sold around the outside of the grocery store. And that collection of crops is incredibly labor intensive. And for that reason, when you're dealing with a single entity, you're actually dealing with thousands of people that work within that entity. And when you think about robots, where should robots go? They probably should go work where there's tons of people because where there's tons of people, there's tons of labor. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Interesting. And as you know, taking an innovative idea to market is not easy. What have been some of those top challenges that you've had to overcome in this journey so far? Yeah, totally. So um, it's all about the people. Like, end of story. People are the hardest thing to get right, the most important. And the more you have people using your product in the most compelling way that they see fit and kind of taking ownership of it, the better off you are. But with that, so I think scaling has been all about people. And what we have found is that when I look at a lot of robotics and agriculture and construction, a lot of, of these other kind of working environments, oftentimes in the demo video, you'll see like a, there'll be some scene where like the robot's running and somebody walks by and the whole system pauses and then the person walks away and the system keeps working. In our case, we're working right next to like eight to 10 people all day long right next to them. And mm -hmm. it's really, really challenging to work safely alongside people and to have those people know everything about like what the system is doing, how to work it, how to operate it. And so I think for us, the biggest thing to get right, the biggest thing that, that has been hard for us to figure out how to do is how to build a robot that any day laborer in California can start operating within a minute or two and then create value quickly for the person who actually owns it while also loving it 
as a product. And that has been hard to figure out. And the way we track that is along two metrics. One is number of vials that each system is running per day. And today we're in like the, we're doing about like between 300 and 500 autonomous miles a day across the fleet. And then separately, number of autonomous miles per user intervention or complaint. So basically how far are the robots traveling with end users using them before they have some complaint about how the vehicle is driving? And at the moment, we're north of like 20 to 25 autonomous miles per user intervention or user complaint. And again, Mm -hmm. systems doing on the low end 300, on the high end about 500 miles a day across the fleet. Got it. Interesting. And could you talk me through the competitive landscape? I feel like every couple of months now, I read in the news about a new autonomous tractor that's coming out or something along those lines. What's that competitive landscape look like? Yeah, so the barriers to building a prototype are virtually zero. And the barriers to building a functional product that is reliable are enormous. And that makes it very difficult for many people to kind of understand what's taking place in the space because there are so many kind of two guys and a dog type startups where they've, they've taken a tractor and they've retrofitted a LiDAR on it and they're having it you know, drive not very well in some conditions and then showing that as a demo video. And so I think if you were to do a genuine market map, you would have north of like a thousand companies out there. And of those 1,000 companies, a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction actually have a product that you as a farmer can buy. And generally, if you're buying it, you're actually paying for it as a service. You can actually buy it. In our case, the category that we're in is a people-scale autonomous vehicle that can carry, scout, tow, or handle like a manipulation system on top safely alongside people in agriculture. And in that sector, which is admittedly kind of a a mouthful to um, articulate, I really like I, I've got probably six or so companies that are working on similar ideas, but I have never lost the sale to any of them. And I've actually never physically seen the product in the field on my customer's site. And so I think the space is is expanding. There are tons of people entering into it. There are tons of people talking about something very functional. But the reality is that unless you have your rubber meeting the road, meaning running at scale in production for at least a couple of years it's pretty unlikely that you're really a formidable competitor today, although that might change in time. To extend that a bit further, each vehicle of ours processes two terabytes of imagery per hour of runtime. So one vehicle is two terabytes per hour of runtime. If you want to replicate what our system does today, you need to run hundreds of things over tens of thousands of autonomous miles and through hundreds of thousands of autonomous hours of operation to experience the comprehensive variability of the environments in which we operate because you cannot recreate it in simulation without running on a vehicle. And so until I see a competitor that has that amount of runtime with that number of vehicles, I basically don't view them as a competitor because they're not in the environment experiencing all the variability that we have had to experience and conquer to get to that high fault rate that I've described before. Got it. Interesting. And you mentioned category there. Do you view this as a new category that you're creating? Absolutely. I define the category of the arena as, as people scale mobility within working environments. So like when you think, again, you think about Disney's WALL-E, uh, Star Wars is R2-D2. I think there's a category of autonomous ground vehicles that are doing a variety of tasks alongside people in working environments. And that category, if we were describing this a decade ago, I would sound like a completely unrealistic lunatic to even mention it. But today, with some of the computer vision and artificial intelligence, suddenly you can actually build very legitimate systems that can navigate alongside people, that can perceive things, 
and which can also serve as platforms for manipulation. And when you think about what people do when they work outdoors, they tend to move around, look at stuff and manipulate it. And so my belief is that today you have some category creating companies and separately, I think it's going to be somewhat similar to like PCs in terms of how the world evolves. Like if you think about a the PC that's like sitting on your desk, it's likely like a, you know, a Windows system. It likely has an Intel CPU. It probably has a Toshiba hard drive or solid state drive in some form. It's likely made by Dell. It's likely running Microsoft Windows. And it's likely you're in Word or Google Docs form in terms of your word processor. All of those layers are companies building a layer on top of another entity. And I think the robotic or autonomous platform will work alongside people's space is actually likely to be many layers as well. And so we're at this really unique point in time where no company has actually really done an autonomous platform at scale that does real work outdoors yet, although many are emerging. And separately, it seems likely to me that layers will be the way the world evolves and that companies won't be vertical doing everything. It's more likely that a company will do a layer and that's what they'll top. I think it's a really exciting place to be. It's kind of like envisioning Twitter in 1979 as PCs are emerging. <laughs> and if we zoom out into the future, let's say five years from now, what's the five-year vision for the company? Yeah, so I think that what I have learned over the past five or six years, you know, building up a really incredible team and trying to conquer some of these problems of safely moving around under canopies alongside people, is it like moving around alongside people is really, really hard to do. It's also like a universal pain point. Literally anybody that looks at our product can come up with 50 other use cases for it. And so we're, it's almost like we're building a guitar, expecting people just to play classical music. And suddenly they come back at you with like, oh, I want to play ska or some funky, <laughs> or poke, some funky genre you haven't thought of. And so I believe that in the next five or so years, what we are doing is building out a toehold in some admittedly kind of niche areas of agriculture while building a broader narrative towards an autonomous ground vehicle that can be used in agriculture, construction, and a variety of other settings. And on top of which, many other entities will want to build. And so fast forward five years from today, I believe that you'll see borough robots running in in a variety of segments within agriculture and nurseries, in solar panel construction sites and other kind of areas of construction, running as guard dogs in depot yards, and basically tackling an increasing number of use cases around safe mobility alongside people. And that world is hard to fully predict, but you can see where the world is going. Let me say it this way. A year ago or two years ago, people were really just using our vehicles as table grape carts. So carts to carry table grapes. Today, I've got vehicles running in solar panel sites carrying stuff. I've got vehicles running in table grape fields carrying stuff. I've got vehicles running in blueberries and nursery crops carrying stuff. I've got vehicles running as guard dogs at night in depot yards. I've got vehicles towing things in nurseries. I've got vehicles scouting for things in nurseries, blueberries, and table grape sites as well. We have probably like 200 companies within our company CRM who've approached us basically asking if they could use our platform to support some other use that they envision in some other operating environment. And so I believe that a people scale platform likely begins as a table rape cart, which is how we have started, but mm -hmm. likely goes into a whole host of other applications. You've got a laborer walking around, looking at things and manipulating things. And when you start to broaden the use cases to include that selection of tasks, any situation where you've got people moving around, perceiving things and manipulating things can become a potential market for a vehicle like ours, especially if we're one layer onto which other entities and companies build. Interesting. 
Well, Charlie, that's all we have time for today. If people want to follow along with your journey, where's the best place for them to go? Yes, you certainly can visit us online at www.burro.ai. So definitely check us out there. We're also on LinkedIn, Twitter. We're out in the field in California. If people ever want to see stuff running as well, they can email me. It's charlie, C-H-A-R-L-I-E at burrow.ai. And we've got a ton of robots running. So always happy to show them off. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And look forward to seeing you execute on this vision. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brett. Really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Talk soon.